Will you turn with me in your Bible to Isaiah 53 and John chapter 5? And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We're going to put all the, the verses up on the screen. But Isaiah 53 and John chapter 5, and we are in a series called All For You. And what we are talking about in this series is, is that Jesus has paid to forgive us of our sins, but he paid really to redeem us from all the effects of sin. To, to not just pay um, because we have transgressed. We talked about that last week. Not just pay for where we have broken the law, but to pay for everything that comes into our life because of sin. He redeems us from the curse, the Bible says. The curse of that broken law Jesus delivers us from. And we know in the Bible that the problem that Jesus came to solve wasn't a sin problem, it was a death problem. Paul tells us very clearly that sin entered the world and death through sin and death spread to everyone because everyone now was in sin. And so so because we're in death, we sin. Most of the time, sin is what we do to try to feel alive. Are you with me? And so because we're in death, we sin. Sin is what we do to try to feel alive. Then the more we sin, the more we're in death. And so we were stuck in this sin and death, sin and death, sin and death, death and sin, sin and death, death and sin, right? We were stuck there. And Jesus came not only to pay where we had broken uh, or transgressed, um, the, the commandments of God, but Jesus came to deal with everything that sin, all the effects of sin, all the brokenness of sin, the death that came through sin, the death in us, the death in our relationships, the death in our thinking, right? The, the death that's, that, 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 that keeps us stuck. Are you with me? And so we're in Isaiah 53 and and I told you this last week, Isaiah um, prophesies about 700 years before Jesus. And, and in his prophecy, uh, 66 chapters, um, it's called the Bible within the Bible because it's 66 chapters. The Bible is 66 books, and it, it has so many themes and parallels to the actual Bible that it's called like the Bible in a Bible. And so he's most prolific, um, probably the most prolific uh, prophet of his time, uh, his, his prophecies are quoted more in the New Testament than any other. In fact, Isaiah 53 is, is, is the most quoted chapter, if you will, of the Old Testament in the New Testament. And, and so there are four, he calls them, or we call them servant songs, where he talks about Jesus or depicts this suffering servant, the innocent, who would redeem the, the, the guilty. And the, the, the last one, which we see in Isaiah 52, uh, verse 13 through Isaiah 53, verse Verse twelve is is kind of kind of like the Mount Everest we talked about. It, it is it is like the thing um, because it so clearly depicts Jesus uh, as the suffering servant, and it prophesies the punishment and what he would go through seven hundred years before Jesus is born. And so, even though we know it as like this, some theologians call it the Mount Everest of messianic prophecy, which is prophecy about the Messiah, which Jesus was the Messiah. Then then uh, the 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 Orthodox Jews who do not believe Jesus. Messiah, for them, it's the it's called the torture chamber of the rabbis because it so clearly depicts um, Jesus, but they don't believe in Jesus, so they have to come up with theories about who is this talking about in Isaiah 53. And so it's one of the one of the four servant songs. It's the last one. And then the apex, if you will, the climax of, of this one is Isaiah 53 uh, verses 4, 5, and 6. And so we're taking verse 5, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, 
And we're just kind of looking at it phrase by phrase. So Isaiah 53, verse five, it says this, but he was wounded for our transgressions. And we talked about that, that Jesus paid for where we had fallen short, that everyone has fallen short of God's standard. We've all sinned, Paul said, and fallen short of the standard of God, that none of us are, can be righteous in and of ourselves, that, that our behavior can't cure us. That's why we need Jesus' blood to cleanse us, right? Are you with us? Are you with me? And so then, then this is what we're looking at this week. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was bruised for our iniquities. And I'll explain that in just a minute. And then the punishment of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we were healed. He was bruised for our iniquities. Now, some people are not sure about what the difference is between sin and iniquity, and sometimes they're grouped together, and, and you see iniquities really more, that's more Old Testament phrase. Uh, we do see it some in the New Testament, but, but here's, here's really just simply the difference. Sin is what you did. Iniquity is why you did it. Okay. In other words, sin is when I transgress the law, right? There was a no trespassing sign and I trespassed, right? But iniquity is what was the brokenness in me that caused me to do that, right? Sin is, hey, I slept with someone. I didn't really mean to. I don't know what happened. That, that, that's a sin. If we sleep with someone we're not married with, that, that according to the Bible, I know not culture, but according to the Bible, that, that is a trespass, right? But, but iniquity is why? What was the brokenness on the inside of you that caused you to, to step over one, one of God's commands, his standard, right? Are you with me? And so we need to understand that when Jesus paid, he didn't just pay for what we did. He paid to heal what causes us to do it. That, that he came to restore and redeem, not just forgive. Are you with me? And so for that, we're going to go to John chapter 5, and we're going we're to talk about a guy that was broken on the inside and broken on the outside. John chapter 5, verse 1. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews. It would have been probably, most, most theologians believe, the Feast of Tabernacles, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So there were f- seven feasts, three major feasts, and the Feast of Tabernacles, there's Passover, Tabernacles, and Pentecost. And, and so for those three major feasts, the Jews came to Jerusalem. And so for this reason, Jesus is in town, right? He is in town uh, because of Feast of Tabernacles. We know that because of John chapter seven. All right. So Feast of Tabernacles. And now there's in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda having five porches. Bethesda means house of mercy. House of mercy. That's what a church should look like. Right, Beth, Bethsaida, house of fish, <laughs> right? Long John Silver. And, um, but anyways, <laughs> yeah. Like, and then, you know, Bethlehem, house of bread, Panera. And so, um, <laughs> So Bethsaida, house of mercy, church. That's good preaching. And so anyways, it had five porches, right? So you know there was sweet tea and guitar picking. <laughs> We're in the south, y'all. Right? I miss Mayberry, right? Sitting on the front porch, picking, singing, you know, drinking ice cold cherry Coke, watching the time go by, yeah, right? From the psalmist, you know, Gary Lavoque. Anyways, um, so... All right, so, so in these lay a great number of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Now, verse four, some, some, some translation will take verse four out. Uh, some will put a footnote. 
uh, because some people believe it to be urban legend, like Goonies and One-Eyed Willie, right? It's like, it's like, it's like urban, are you with me? It's like urban legend. And, and so what would happen is, and we're going to read it here, but, but what would happen, verse four is, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, and whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever weakness, whatever disease, whatever infirmity that they, that they had. Now, a couple of theories on this. One, one is that, that this pool actually had a spring in it and that it would bubble, the spring would bubble up and, and it would kind of crest and, 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 and if someone got in, they would, they would be healed. There's another theory. Well, I should say th- there's a couple of facts that I worked into a hypothesis is that history tells us that this phenomenon of people being healed at this pool didn't actually start until Jesus was on the earth. The second fact is that Jesus with his family would have come to Jerusalem for every feast. And according to history, this didn't happen often, maybe once a year. I kind of think Jesus played in the water about once a year. But have you ever seen little boys in water? You can, does anybody have little boys? You can put a little boy in a completely dry parking lot, driveway, it doesn't matter, but if there's one puddle of water, it doesn't even have to be deep, just one, they're going to be jumping in the, right? And I just think that Jesus would come with Mary and Joseph, and then he would come by the pool, they would be coming for the Feast of Tabernacles or something like that, and he would come by the pool, and he would just go down, and he would just play in the water. And then Mary would grab me. Jesus, you're all the time playing in the water. And by that time, someone across the pool would say, I'm healed. I'm healed. <laughs> it's just my theory. We can ask Jesus when we get to heaven. Anyways, but, but here's, so, so, so verse five, now a certain, a certain man, I love how the text singles out one person. There was a multitude, but we narrowed the multitude down to I want you to know, you are, when Jesus is around, you are never lost in a crowd. I'd like to preach that, but I don't have time. So a certain man was there who had an infirmity, that, that word could be translated weakness, for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, and he knew that he'd already been in that condition a long time, he said, do you want to be made well? Interesting question. And the sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Boom, boom, boom. And the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it's the Sabbath and it's not lawful to carry your bed. Now, first of all, they're stupid. Second of all, there was no law against carrying your bed. There was a law against working. That's why if you're in Israel on the Sabbath, they, they turn the elevators off. Because it's work to push the button, but not work to walk up the stairs. I ain't lying. Actually, most buildings, they make, they make it where the elevator stops on every floor so that no one has to push the button. It, it's, it's, so there's, their loose interpretation that this man carrying his bed is, is working. Religion is so dumb, y'all. Better hide your kids, hide your wife. Anyways... <laughs> But he said, he said, it's, it's, um, it's not lawful to carry a bed. Verse four, and he said to them, he who made me well said, I love that answer. That is a great way to answer hypocrites in religion. Well, you shouldn't do that. Well, he that made me well. 
the man that saved me. Why are you lifting your hands in worship? Because there was a man who saved me. Why are you singing so loud? There's, why are you going to church all the time? Because the man who made me well. And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one. Oh, I backed up. Where are we at? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Take up your bed and walk. Verse 12, then they asked him, there's no placeholder whenever I, anyways. Then he asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed didn't know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. In verse 14 afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, I have made you well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And the man departed and told the Jews it was Jesus. Blame him. He's the one who made me well and told me to work, to carry my bed. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. The stupidity of that. <laughs> Jesus said, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. I call this message, keep the change. Keep the change. Can we pray? Um, Father, we have gathered in your house. But not just in your house. We have gathered in your presence. And God, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And God, in this moment, let us, let us not forget that we have not come to, to a, a, a church happening, a religious thing, but we have gathered in your presence and there is freedom in your presence. And in this moment, God, our lives can be changed and transformed. God, we don't ever have to be the same. Because your presence is here and we can move, God. Whatever has held us back, whatever is holding on to us, whatever has crippled us, God, in your presence, all of that can change. And let us trust you that when we leave here, we will look more like you. We will be transformed into your image. And God, we will be more like us and more free than we've ever been in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Keep the change. Three things from the text that, that I want to point out as quickly as I know how, and that is number one, you can't be made well against your will. You can't be made well against your will. Verse six of John chapter five, to me, Jesus' question seems to be a little bit insensitive. Jesus saw him lying there, knew he had been in that condition a long time, and then asked him this question Do do you want to be made well, seems like a dumb question. I mean, you, you wouldn't go in, into the hospital today and find people who, who were struggling with very serious and, and debilitating illnesses and walk up to their bed and say, hey, I'm just wondering, just thinking, pondering, thought I'd come ask, would you like to be better? That would seem pretty, pretty insensitive, wouldn't it? I mean, you go in there like, hey, I know the jello's great, but... Um, and I mean, you can get all the Jello you want, eighty-seven dollars a serving of Jello, and and I know the bed's comfy and goes up and down. You can turn the TV on, just wondering, just wondering, would you would you like to would you like to be made well? But you know what Jesus knows that 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 we know that we don't want to talk about sometimes is that some people don't want to be made well. Some people have become so comfortable with their issues that if they gave up their issues, they wouldn't know who they were anymore. This man's entire life was organized around what was wrong with him. Did you hear what I just said? His, 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 uh, his status, where he spent his time, 
what he did during the day, what he did at night, all of his relationships. Because see, here at this pool, you come into this pool through the, through the sheep gate, and there's this big pool, and on this side are, are five colonnades or five porches. And, and over here is where the shepherds come in, and they, they clean up their sheep or, or let them drink or wash them or whatever. But over here, this is where these five porches are, and people are organized by their issue. Here are the blind, here are the lame, here are the paralyzed, here are the diseased. And so they are actually grouped together. Isn't it funny how people with issues find people with the same issues? Isn't that kind of like you should, like if you pay attention in church, the, the pessimists, they'll find each The people who don't want to believe a certain thing, they'll group. The people who want to judge everybody, they'll. Isn't it interesting? Even the people who, who struggle with certain things and, and certain issues, they will somehow. And isn't it funny that they will find each other and they'll start a hashtag. And they'll get their 25 friends and they'll commiserate because misery loves company. And they'll gather and they'll talk about how bad it is to have this issue. Like they, they lay aside hashtag goals. No, 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 no. They're like hashtag issue. And they will actually get around themselves people who are limited in the same way they are limited. Because when you surround yourself with people broken the same way you're broken, limited the same way that you're limited, there will never be a challenge for change, but you can get some sort of comfort. And some people are more interested in comfort than they are in change. They're more interested in being consoled. That's why they're all the time posting about their issue. He left me. He left me. He left. I know he did. But how long? It's 38 years he left you. How long are you going to be posting that? <laughs> you were married for three years. You, he left you 38 years ago. When are you going to celebrate what life you got left? Was it bad? Yes. Did it suck? Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. But you got to decide. Do you want to live as the divorced person or you want to move forward with your life? Do you want to be the person that he left you or do you want to be the person that became something beautiful by the grace of God? That may have been a little strong. I'm sorry. But isn't it, isn't it interesting with you? And, and think about this. He, 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 then Not only that, then he gets on the porch and then he builds a bed. Like he's getting comfortable. 38 years. Comfortable. I got a Serta. And, and can I say something? I guess I can't have the microphone. I think sometimes in our life, sometimes we've, we've tried to believe and trust God. And when it hasn't happened, we start accepting and we decide to pull our faith back in because it was disappointing. And all of a sudden we start accepting this is, you know what's interesting to me? The text doesn't even give us this guy's name. He had so, um, so submerged himself in his issue 
that he wasn't even known by anything other than his issue. And sometimes because we say it hurts to trust God and, and God didn't do it and, and God hasn't done it and, and we kind of back up then and we create a comfortable mat in our issue because it's too hard to trust God. And we think that comfort keeps us safe when truthfully it just keeps us stuck. And this man... He's been stuck for 38 years. You know, the only other place in the Bible I can think of 38 is a number? Kadesh Barnea is where the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 38 years because they couldn't trust God to go into the promised land. It seemed safer to stay stuck. And so here, here, is, here is this man. He's got his hashtag, hashtag lame. He's got his, he's got his friends up on the porch. They're talking about it. And then Jesus steps up and says, do you want to be made well? Now, that that question seems insensitive until you see his response. Because there are some questions in life that are just yes or no questions. Would you like a drink of water? Yes. Do you need to use the restroom? No. (laughs) Would you like to be made well? Look at this man's response. Verse 7, it said, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool. And when the water stirred, somebody else steps ahead of me. Oh, time out. When you surround yourself with people just as limited as you are, they can't challenge you to be better. They can just console you in your misery. But you know what else people who are just as limited as you are will do? They will compete with you. Yeah, it's like we got our little group of single ladies and then one of them gets engaged. Oh, my God. (laughs) Everybody in the break room huddles around and talks how bad about how bad the boss is. And then one of them gets promoted. Can we just be honest today? Can we just have an honest conversation today? And so look, look, they're competing with like he surrounded himself to commiserate. But now someone's competing with him. Here's, here's what I would say. If the question is insensitive, then what Jesus says next is offensive. Because he says to a man who's been stuck on this map for 38 years, would you like to get better? You got to see the conversation. Sometimes we read the Bible like we, we know what it says, and that's the problem. Are you with me? Like you can't read the Bible like you know what it says, right? And 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 so and so so the next thing that the guy says is he's like, "Hey, what'd you like to?" And he's like, "I don't have anybody to do it for me." It was yes or no. It's somebody else's fault. I think sometimes, can I just, I think sometimes in church, because I've had these meetings with people, hey, do you want to get better? Yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. Yeah, but I never knew my dad. You don't know what it's like to have this skin color. 
you don't understand the socioeconomic class that I came from. You don't understand what this person did to me. You don't understand that that person left me. You don't understand that my mama did and my dad did and he did and she did and they did and I never had. And here's what I'd say. All of that is relevant. It's real. And to your, to, to your point, I don't know what it's like in some of those situations. I don't. My question is, do you want to be known by your issue or known by God's grace? My question is, do you want to stay stuck or do you want to see what God's redemptive power can do in your life? Because if you want to, I mean, this is what our culture does. As long as you blame, you can bet on staying the same. And what our culture has done so well is we have relieved ourselves of any responsibility for what's actually happening in our life because it's all about what they did. And listen to me, I don't, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but everyone, let me help you in, because as a pastor, I've counseled a lot of people, and I've seen people that chose to stay stuck, and I've seen people that chose to move forward. I've seen people that chose the life of, vic- of victimhood, and I've ch- seen the people that chose the life of victory. I've seen it both. And here's what I can tell you. The people next to you that you think has got a better deal than you, no, their deal was just as bad. They just decided not to stay there anymore. And so what we find out from this man's comment, I ain't nobody do it for me. Jesus finds out, oh, you're weak on the outside, but you're weaker on the inside. Just looking at you, I thought you had a problem on the outside. Now I see the problems on the inside. Now I see you're a victim on the inside, not just crippled on the outside. There are people not lame who are more crippled than people who are paralyzed. There are people not behind bars who are in more bondage. And Jesus all of a sudden says, oh, now I got to figure it out. You're more messed up on the inside than you are on the outside. And because you're so messed up on the inside, that's why you're stuck on the outside. And instead of you doing something with that you've decided to blame someone else for it can i tell you that no one not one person has the power not one person has the power to derail your destiny except you there's not one person that has the power to keep you from being who God has created and redeemed you to be, except you. And so that's why we ask the question. You may be in church today, but here's the question. Do you want to be made well? Or do you like your hashtag? Here's the second thing. Jesus came to give you the power to change. Because think about this. And We read the Bible, and I said this a minute ago, but I didn't get finished. But We read the Bible. If you already know, sometimes my brain works faster than my mouth can. It's a curse. We read the Bible, and, and we read it like we've always read it. But, but, but put, this, put this verse up here, because if, what, if the question was insensitive, then what Jesus is about to tell this man is extraordinarily offensive. Because verse 8 and 9, Jesus said to him, look at this. Now, hang on. 
let's, 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 let's role play a minute. Here's a man on a mat, got issues. Can't get to the pool. Jesus walks up to him. Like this is the only time Jesus did this way. Every time everybody would bring, like they would bring, they'd come get Jesus or they'd bring a, a sick person to Jesus or they came to him themselves. We never see Jesus single someone out like this really and just heal them. This is the only time this happens. It's crazy. And this is how it goes. Jesus walks up to a man who's been lame or, or broken or weak for 38 years. And Jesus says, hey, you want to get better? The man. Well, I ain't got nobody to do it for me. Jesus. Get up, take your bed, and walk. If the question's insensitive, that's offensive. Get up. You didn't hear me? Are, are you blind? Like, you seem like a sharp guy, but I don't know if you know what's going on here. Because Jesus, listen to me, Jesus comes to a person who is completely comfortable in their affliction. They have an affliction addiction. They have a hashtag lame, right? Are you with me? They are comfortable. They're posting about it. Everywhere they go, they need to introduce themselves as somebody that's been through something, got something going on, got their issue. Well, I've been divorced five times. Well, I have depression. Well, I really have anxiety. Well, you know, I, I have an addiction. And everywhere they go, they just introduce themselves by their hashtag. And he comes up to a person who's very comfortable, very comfortable in their affliction and says, get up. He told him to do something that was impossible for him to do. That does not seem very compassionate. You would expect Jesus to say, well, let me get down here with you, my friend. Let me just, let me just, you know, let me, let me, and, 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 let me, you know, maybe we'll cry together. Maybe I'll listen to your story about how hard your 38 years has been. I mean, this, this guy's been afflicted longer than Jesus has been on planet earth by about five years. But yet Jesus, you wonder about compassionate, grace-filled Jesus, how he looks at you when you're comfortable in your weakness. What would he say? Get up. That doesn't seem very compassionate, Jesus. You know how long I've been laying here? You know, uh, I'm going to have to get my handicap sticker back and not get that parking place anymore. I mean... Is this, is this the end of all my assistance that I get because I have this? And you're wondering what Jesus would say to you today if you're struggling with an issue. Now you need to understand the grace of Jesus. He only commands what he empowers. He only commands. He says live righteously, then he makes us righteous. He says live holy, then we become partakers of his divine holiness, the Bible says. He says live a new life, and he gives us a new nature. And so Jesus is not in the business of telling you to do something that he will not enable you to do, but he will tell you to do something that you are not able to do so he can enable you to do it. And so Jesus looks at this man and says, rise, take up your bed. Now, now here's what I love about this verse. What I love about this verse is what is not in it. Like so you just got to read the Bible and be creative sometimes. In my Bible, I have a circle. <clears throat> you know where the circle is? 
between verse 8 and verse 9. Because between verse 8 and verse 9, there, there's actually a space there between, between that quotation mark and, and the and, right? Because if you're typing, you're writing, right? We don't mush it all together. You know, that's what we did in first grade, right? Now they teach us to space the letters so we can distinguish what the words are. And so it says, rise, take up your bed and walk, period, quotation mark, or close quotation, space, and. And what I like is, in order for verse 9 to happen, we got to ask ourselves, what happened in the space? Because there's no miracle without faith. There's no miracle without partnership with God. And so the question becomes, what must have happened, not in the verse, but in the space? There must have been faith in that space. That between what Jesus decrees and the breakthrough that we need, there is a space for faith. And the faith in that space determines if we see the miracle Jesus has decreed. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom and he said, I've come to proclaim the the year or, or the time of God's favor. We would say grace, dispensation of grace, the space for grace. And now, between what Jesus has done and what he has decreed, now there's this space and those who put their faith toward what he has said and done can walk in what he has provided but not unless there's faith in the space. And I think some people are lost in space. Right? The Bible says the promise didn't do them any good because they didn't mix it with faith. They didn't put faith in that space. And this man, listen, Jesus came to give us the power to change. This man could not change himself, could not heal himself. He could not get up. He was stuck. 38 years he was stuck. But Jesus gives a command. But that's just Jesus' part, and then there's your part. And that command was three things he couldn't do, by the way. Not just one, because you're Jesus. He's not going to tell you one, do one thing you can't do. He's going to tell you to do that 12 things you can't do. Rise, take your bed, and walk. He couldn't do any of those things. But here's the thing, in that space, there had to be some faith. In that space, there, there had to be, and, and you had to understand that we can't change ourselves, and we can't, and this is why Jesus, Jesus came. In fact, here, here's a reference, Matthew 8, 16. This is, this is going back, this is a quotation, if you will, again, of Isaiah 53. It says, when Eden came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with the word, and he healed all who were sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. In other words, here's what he's saying. Jesus just didn't pay for the brokenness of sin, but he paid for the effects of sin. And this man is broken on the 
inside, iniquity. And because he's broken on the inside with iniquity, he has an infirmity on the outside. And Jesus is like, hey, I want you to rise and take your bed and walk. And then he looks at him. And that man had to do something. And that is, I think he had to mix some faith with what Jesus had to say. And if you want to get off your mat today, Jesus has already paid. He's already decreed. He's already declared. And you are lost in space. But will he find faith in your space so you can walk in what he's provided? He gives us the the power to change. The prophet Joel said, let the weak say, I am strong. He gives us the power to be made whole. Uh, Romans 8 says that if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, it will give life or strength to your body. Are you with me? Jesus came not only to to pay for the brokenness, but he came to pay to provide wholeness so that we can be, so that we can get off, so we can overcome. Here's the last thing. Your liberty is your responsibility. Because, I mean, this is a pretty cool encounter. Jesus says, rise, take your bed and walk. And and then the guy believes and and he gets up and he gets his mat and he starts walking. Then, Then cue the crazy Pharisees. And, and that's a happy story. But then Jesus finds him later at the temple, a place he would have never been, by the way. He couldn't go into the temple. And so Jesus goes to the temple because this man's like, now I go to the temple. He goes to the temple. Jesus goes to the temple and finds him in the temple. And then Jesus says this, verse 14. So he found him in the temple and Jesus said, hey, you've been made well. Sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, a couple things. There, there are people who have, who have created really bad doctrine around this verse. And, and they believe, well, when you sin, God puts sickness on you. And, and that's not even accurate. It's not even, not even grace. It's not even what God does. I mean, first of all, <clears throat> if God allowed Jesus to be punished for, for sickness, by his stripes you were healed. So if he allowed his son to be tortured for your sickness, then how sick of it would, how sick would it be for him to then make you sick? Like that doesn't make sense to me, right? And people, well, he, he made me sick so that I could learn something. We better learn it fast. But again, I don't know if I want to serve a God who goes around making me sick to teach me. I mean, I, I love to teach my children. But I don't ever try to make them sick. Like, if you don't learn this, I'm going to give you some rat poison in there, son, and drink some of that. Take you to the ER, pump your stomach, and that'll stop you. That'll teach you to eat your broccoli. I mean, this is sometimes, whoo, anyways. So, 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 but here's what we know. Here's, here's, here's the truth of it, is that decisions have consequences. And Jesus can liberate us and then we can make decisions to put us right back in bondage. Right? Like, like Jesus, Jesus can free us, 
But then if we choose, like we're, we're free from sin and death, but if we choose sin, it always opens the door to death. Let me give you scripture, Romans 6, verse 16. It says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey. Check this, you're slaves to who you obey. Whether you're slaves to sin, which always, by the way, he's talking to Christians, just so we're clear. So he's talking to Christians and he said, listen, you're, you're, you're slaves to the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which can lead to righteousness. And so <clears throat> what Jesus is doing in this is he is realizing if you're not careful, you'll think because the man's broken on the outside, he's broken on the inside. Jesus realized, no, he was broken on the inside. That's how he got broken on the outside. That, that, that his situation was probably, isn't it, we don't know what he did. Maybe it was a sin of bitterness. Maybe it was a sin of self-righteousness. Maybe it was unforgiveness in his heart. We, we know that when we participate in sin, it can actually affect our body. Sometimes we just do stupid things. Like you get drunk, jump off a building, and break your legs. Your legs are still going to break. You can be a Christian all day long. But if you get drunk and jump off a building, your legs are going to break. If you make dumb decisions, it's still going to hurt. Are you with me? And, and, and I don't know why it is that some Christians feel like that, that because we're under grace, God should somehow relieve us of the consequences of our poor decisions. I can't tell you how many times I've sat across from someone who is a believer, who's made a terrible decision, and now they're like, I don't understand why God would bring this on me. And I'm like, I don't think, honey, God brought you. He didn't bring this on. You did this. You chose this. You acted this way. You made this decision. And grace does not relieve you from the consequence of bad decisions. If you choose sin, that's why Paul says, should we use grace and just go on sin? No, certainly not. He said, we've been given the power over sin. Why would we walk anymore in that? That you can be covered by grace, which is free from the punishment of sin. But if you keep making poor decisions, you can be a Christian all day long, but if you drive 85 miles an hour down the loop and they pull you over, you will have won a ticket. Even for Christians, the wages of sin is still death. That when we sin, it opens the door for death in our lives. And Jesus says, oh, if, here's what Jesus looks at. He said, I've made you free on the outside. But if I don't do something about the inside, you're going to be stuck again. We have to understand how complete redemption is. That he was wounded for our transgressions, but then he was bruised for what is broken on the inside. He, he, he came to heal us being lame on the outside while at the same time redeeming and healing and delivering us from being lame on the inside. And Jesus said, you know what? I, I see you here, man. You're excited. You're carrying your mat. Praise the Lord. I'm celebrating with you, but we got a bigger problem because the problem is now, now you're strong on the outside, still weak on the inside. And if we don't deal with something that's going on, on the inside, you'll just be weak again on the outside. And so Jesus, Jesus comes back to him and says, hey, I want you, listen, I want you to sin no more so that you don't get stuck again. That's why Paul said, don't let the liberty that you have in Christ 
take you into captivity. Titus said it this way, that Jesus gave himself to redeem us from every iniquity. The bending of our soul towards sin. The brokenness of our soul towards sin. That Jesus didn't just come to pay for the sins we committed, but he came to pay for what's broken on the inside because Jesus wants us to keep the change. Look at, look at this text. Ephesians 4.21 says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Look at this. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by the lust and deception. Look at this. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. That, that, that put on your new nature, that, that put on there means to clothe to clothe. And here's what Jesus is saying. I've made you righteous. Now clothe yourself in righteous and walk around in your new clothes. In other words, I think Paul said it this way. Now work, walk worthy of the calling that, that I paid to make you righteous. Now I want you to live. It's not legalism because legalism is where I try to be righteous on the outside. Grace is he's made me right on the inside so that I can live right on the outside. Are you with me? The, the best picture is the prodigal son. I mean, he is, he is in the pigsty. Like, we know the story. He asks for his inheritance, leaves home, goes to Vegas, parties, wastes all of his money. There's a famine. Now he's feeding pigs. Then he finally says, I got to go home. Don't you think he was a hot mess when he got home? Smelt like pigs and slop, and, and he's dirty, tattered, no shoes, we know. And he walks in saying, he's going to be a servant, just going to be a slave in the house of God or in the house of my father. And the father says, bring out the best robe. It's a picture, robe of righteousness, right? It's a picture. It says, the Bible said we've been covered with the robe of righteousness. It's a picture that his father said, hey, I'm going to cover you with my righteousness. Now, wouldn't it have been crazy if he'd have taken that new robe of righteousness and gone back to the pigsty? Wouldn't that have been strange? Like, oh my God, he has covered my sin with his righteousness and going back to the hogs. I think there's a verse that talks about a dog returning to its vomit in the Bible, but that's not a pretty picture. And, and this is what Paul's saying. He's like, now that he's covered you in righteousness, try to live like you're dressed. Try to walk and live in his righteousness. Don't, don't go back to the pigsty in your new righteous robe. But try rather to, now that you've been clothed in righteousness, walk in righteousness. And, 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 and here's what Jesus knows about this man. Your, your decisions determine your destination. And if you don't change the way you make decisions, you're going to keep coming back to this pool. You'll be here again. And if I don't heal what's broken on the inside of you, you're going to be back at the same pool on the same mat. Being stuck. You know what I love about Jesus is I understand rise and walk, but the little phrase in the middle, take your mat. I'm like, why do you need the mat? Like if it's me, I want to burn the mat. Are, are you with me on that? Like why do you want to take the mat, Jesus? And then I read this and said that they would leave their mats to hold their place on their porch so they could always come back to it. And what Jesus said is, I don't want you coming back here anymore. You need to understand, 
that when Jesus works in your life, he doesn't work to leave you where you're at. He doesn't come to you so you can stay where you're at. He comes to you to touch you, to invade your life with power, to change the trajectory of your life so that you end up where you're supposed to be, not stuck where you have been. Are are you with me? And so Jesus said, hey, I want you to take your mat because you're going to keep the change. You're not coming back here again. You're not coming back to this pool. You're not going to lay down here again. You're not going to, you're not going to hashtag yourself lame anymore. You're going to walk. You're going to, you're going to take on a name and an identity and the purpose that you're not coming back. I came not just to deliver you from what's broken, but to heal you on the inside so that that the change that you've gotten by the grace of God, you can keep it. And it becomes a launching pad for your destiny to take you to what I've called you to be. So you can do what I've called you to do. You don't have to stay stuck. No, take your mat up and go forward with your life because I paid not only for what you did, but why you did it and why you were broke on the inside. Come on, can you give Jesus praise? God is so good. He is so good. Why don't you stand?